Welcome to Rumsey Connections. My name is Meredith Gaskins, and I'm joined today by Alex Lutz, the VP of Marketing and Public Relations at Rumsey. We have our guest of the day, Dr. Daniel Demizio, Rumsey's newest rheumatologist, and Dan Ryan, the advertising director here at the Staten Island Advance. Welcome. Thank you for joining us. Thanks for having me. <laughs> Through Rumsey Connections, you'll meet the fantastic doctors, nurses, and medical professionals that make our hospital thrive. We'll provide useful information about your own health, explore the latest medical news, and hopefully get you answers to some of your own health-related questions. So let's talk rheumatology. Okay. A rheumatologist is an internist or pediatrician who received further training in the diagnosis and treatment of musculoskeletal disease and systemic autoimmune conditions commonly referred to as rheumatic diseases. These diseases can affect the joints, muscles, and bones, causing swelling, pain, stiffness, and potentially cause joint deformities. So our guest of the day was born and raised in Staten Island, New York. Dr. Daniel Demizio obtained his undergraduate degree in biology, summa cum laude, at the College of New Jersey. Mm -hmm. He was inducted into the Alpha Omega Alpha Honor Society while a medical student at Albert Einstein College of Medicine. Dr. Demizio subsequently completed his internal medicine residency at Mount Sinai Hospital in New York City and his rheumatology fellowship training at Columbia. Dr. Demizio was previously an assistant professor of medicine at Columbia University College of Physicians and Surgeons. Dr. Demizio's particular academic interests include vasculitis, quality improvement, and musculoskeletal ultrasound. He served as the director of the Vasculitis Center. Dr. Demizio also has a particular interest in medical education and was a member of the clinician educator track during his residency. He remained very involved with teaching medical students, residents, and fellows at Columbia, and he is currently teaching medical students and residents here at Rumsey. While he was at Columbia, he served as the rheumatology course director for medicine residency and fourth-year medical students. So welcome once again. Thanks for now, having me. Maybe you can enlighten us. What do you think are some of the most common rheumatic issues and why? So rheumatology is an often um, misunderstood um, specialty within internal medicine. Uh, we, as rheumatologists, basically treat two major conditions. We treat uh, diseases that fall under umbrella of musculoskeletal medicine, and we also fall under uh, and treat uh, diseases that fall under autoimmune or inflammatory conditions. Um, so the common diseases that we treat within those kind of major two subgroups, musculoskeletal medicine is things like osteoarthritis, kind of bone-on-bone -bone arthritis due to aging and wear and tear, uh, things like bursitis or tendonitis, um, irritation to the tendons or the fluid-filled sacs that kind of help cushion our joints, um, and things like you know sports injuries or sprains um, that might happen to the muscle or the tendon. Um, so that's kind of the more bread and butter under musculoskeletal medicine. But then the kind of perhaps more interesting or, or more challenging to treat are those auto-inflammatory or autoimmune conditions. And those are things like rheumatoid arthritis that you might have heard about, psoriatic arthritis, lupus, and then kind of more rare rare zebra diseases like um, vasculitis or myositis um, that people might have never even heard about. So it sounds like from your, your description of, of what you're treating that a lot of these conditions are either something that someone is born with or they come about with age. So that's a, a really good question. It's a little bit complex of an answer. Um, for some of these diseases, like osteoarthritis, they are very much tend to be age-related. Um, you, if you live long enough, you know, about 
20 to 30% of people uh, over the age of 60 will have osteoarthritis in their knees, for example. Mm -hmm. And that's a disease that tends to develop, yeah, more with age. Some of these inflammatory and autoimmune conditions actually can affect any age group. So we have patients with um, rheumatoid arthritis in their you know, childbearing ages, in their 20s, 30s, and then those same people can also develop rheumatoid arthritis later on in life in their 50s or 60s. Um, so a lot of these autoimmune conditions really can affect basically any age group. Um, you mentioned kind of genetics or something that you're born with. The cause of these diseases is not fully understood for the majority of them. There probably is some genetic component, almost certainly for the majority of them. Mm -hmm. Things like lupus and rheumatoid arthritis and psoriatic arthritis, we do know that there definitely is some genetic underpinning to them. Mm -hmm. but it's, it's a lot more complex than that. It has to do with you know environmental factors, occupational exposures, things like periodontal disease. Mm -hmm. So there are a lot of factors that go into it. It's not simply, mm -hmm. oh, my mom had it, therefore I'm gonna have it. That sort of thing. So it's a yeah. pretty broad spectrum of. Absolutely, yeah. We treat all age groups, you know, from you know young kids to 100 years old. And you mentioned it's a, it's a very I'll say small specialty in internal medicine. Yeah, absolutely. We're actually the smallest uh, specialty within internal medicine. There's about 4,000 rheumatologists in the United States. Number you know give or take obviously, uh, but on Staten Island there are, are very few rheumatologists. Um, you know if, with a quick Google search I see about 10, mm -hmm. um, and then you know a lot of a lot of you know of those rheumatologists throughout the country are retiring or kind of later on in their careers. So there's expected to be a rheumatology shortage um, in the coming years. So we're a, a much needed and, and sought out uh, a specialty. So you're arriving at the right time. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, coming <laughs> at the right that's time. A, that's a wild number to think about. I mean, we, there's 500,000 people on this island. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. You know, yes. And maybe only... 10 rheumatologists. Again, yes. that's not like a firm number, but that, no. you right. know, it's, and I know many of them are retiring or already have retired mm -hmm. on the island. So, you know, it's a, it's a tough, it's tough need. to find. Yes. It's, I am in need. Yeah. And, you know, when you think about, uh, doctors, you know, you don't think about how many others there are. For example, we had Dr. Brian Gilchrist on in a previous episode mm -hmm. as a pediatric surgeon. Right. And he's one of only 475 licensed pediatric surgeons in the country. Right. And to when you think about that and then you think about a small place like Staten, like, well, we actually have one. one. We have you now. It's like, well, I don't have to leave to find this specialist because that's always the thing is mm -hmm. I've got to go off island to mm -hmm. find yep. Yep. The, the care that I need. And now you're here. Yep. Um, and as a Staten Island guy, Staten Island roots, yep. you, you, you know the community. Absolutely. So I guess my first question would be to you also is, so if someone's coming to see you because it's such a specialized area, how do you go about that initial first exam when someone comes in so you can determine what's actually going on here? Yeah, I, so one of the things I really like about rheumatology is we often play the role of detective and we're also often, you know, referred from someone's primary care doctor or another specialist, you know, you should go see a rheumatologist. This sounds, you know, a little strange. So the complaints we get, the issues that come to us are very, very vast. We get things from simply like joint pain, you know, ow, my joints hurt, or ow, my, you know, my muscle hurts, or something, you know, I'm losing weight, I'm losing hair, I have a fever every day, I have ulcers and cuts in my mouth, my hands are cold, and they're changing colors, all kind of weird symptoms. And it's really hard to kind of piece things together. So often people get sent to the rheumatologist because they just want help to kind of figure out what's going on. 
Um, so in my initial visit, I'll of course get the chief complaint, kind of what's bothering them, what's been going on. If it's something simple, not simple, but if it's something like pain, you know, I'll try to get a little bit more information about that pain, you know, the location, the intensity, the quality, when did it happen? Were there any triggers? Was there a trauma? Was there a fall? Were you doing something out of, out of, out of, the, out of the ordinary for yourself? And then I'll try to get associated symptoms. You know, sometimes people are having pain and haven't even made a connection. Um, psoriatic arthritis is a great example. People who have a diagnosis of psoriasis affecting their skin, that can be deeply linked to arthritis. Mm -hmm. So some connection might not have necessarily been made linking their skin condition with the joint pain that they're having now. Um, so trying to make those connections, look for associated symptoms. Are they having fevers? Are they losing weight? Are they losing hair? Other strange things that might be happening. I like to try to get to know them a little bit. Their occupation that sometimes, you know, their exposures that they might be having might give a, a little piece or a key as to what's going on and try to figure out what's wrong with the patient. And then, of course, examining them, you know, and basically just talking with them and trying to configure a plan. You know, where can we go from here? How can we best help you? And if I can help you, well, at least maybe through that in detail and an in-depth discussion, maybe trying to target them in the right direction, perhaps. Because mm -hmm. we are internal medicine trained, so we do understand a lot about the, the heart, the lungs, and that mm -hmm. sort of thing. Yeah. Are there any conditions that you're seeing here on Staten Island presenting themselves more than others? There is, yes. Uh, there is a very absolutely interesting case in the hospital right now at Rumsey. I was just consulted on on Wednesday or Thursday. Fascinating case, very sad. I, I mean, I'll withhold a lot of the, the information just for, for purposes of, you know, HIPAA mm -hmm. protections. But, um, you know, very young woman has, you know, some other comorbidities, diabetes, you know, poorly controlled, unfortunately. And at the young age of 39, presented with, with a stroke. Mm -hmm. And when they've done imaging of her brain, there's kind of narrowing of the vessels all throughout her body. And... You know, we see this, you know, maybe it's due to atherosclerosis, maybe, you know, you had a stroke because you're older or you had a clot that spread somewhere, but the narrowing of her vessels are so pronounced and so, you know, throughout her entire body that we think it's, it's a type of vasculitis, inflammation of the blood vessels that's leading to kind of this young woman to have this kind of devastating, you know, presentation. Um, that is, of course, a very extreme example. Mm -hmm. um, I am, of course, seeing, you know, in the office, I'm seeing really, you know, interesting cases, things like, you know, rheumatoid arthritis and psoriatic arthritis, lupus, psoriatic arthritis, things that, you know, well-versed in and, and mm -hmm. apt to treat. So it's been really nice. It's probably not surprising, though. I mean, it's, it's well known that Staten Island has the worst health of, uh, yes. of any of yes. the boroughs. Yeah. Yes. So obesity and other things yeah, that right. are, are leading factors in that. Yeah. You probably see more pronounced conditions and different things mm -hmm. that yeah yeah these can be really uh challenging conditions they can go on for a long time people often are minimizers i've noticed um throughout the, the, the city and but on staten island you know my knee hurts my knee's swollen and eh, you know no mm -hmm. big deal kind of pushing it off pushing it off that's kind of one of the the dangers because if you keep pushing it off pushing it off that joint can get inflamed that joint can lose function and you can you know, sometimes get contractures in your knee or contractures in your hands, you know, where the hands get deformed or the feet get deformed. And that could just be something that we could have prevented if we caught it early and started treatments early. Yeah, I, I think it's it's like society in general. And I think we're all, we're all guilty of it. We don't run to the doctor for every ache and pain. Sure. Um, and some people, the ache and pain will go on for weeks and they still, right. oh, yep. Tylenol, I'll yep. manage it, I'll manage it. And then finally it gets to a point where it's so bad, right. they are, right, I'm going to go to the walk-in center or I'm going to go to my primary care or I got to go to the emergency room. And then you find out it's 
it's this what something you, more something yeah. more yeah. and i think it's just the nature of people don't want bad news yeah people don't want to be seen as i can't handle pain right. um and and that's what i think happens with a lot of people myself included people in my family and then when it finally gets to a point that it's i think i need to go to the emergency room now it's like, okay, and you get there and you think you're just gonna be seen, and then they say, Well, you have to have a rheumatologist come in. I'm willing to bet there's a lot of people who don't even know what a rheumatologist okay. is. So this My look parents didn't know what a rheumatologist is. <laughs> <laughs> Until I became one. They were like, Oh, rheumatologist, yeah. nice, what's that? Yeah, and, and you see you to see a cardiologist, all right, cardiologist. I I get that. And and I think what you just pointed uh, to just in the in the sentence you just said is arthritis is kind of this umbrella. Yep. But there's how many different kinds of arthritis? Over 200. Wow. Yeah, really? Yeah. yeah. Over 200 rheumat rheumatic conditions that there are. Wow. Yeah. A rheumatoid arthritis is the one that I, I've heard of the sure, most. Sure, that's you the know. one. You know, it's all over TV. I feel like mm -hmm. every other commercial is one of those you know, newer drug therapies yeah. that, that, that are available, thankfully. Right. Um, but that's the one that everyone knows about. And some people come and they say, like, oh, I have rheumatoid arthritis. But what they actually mean is they have osteoarthritis. And I, I think see. there's a certain level of right. educating and, and trying to figure out, you know, could, do you have rheumatoid arthritis? Because that's what people hear, mm -hmm. uh, but they don't necessarily know that arthritis is more nuanced than that. And is, is there a way that if, if, if someone is sitting at home having trouble with a knee or, or, or flexing, yeah. how to say, okay, I, I've got something going on here or it could be arthritis? Yep. Is, how, mm -hmm. how do you make that? Yeah, so it... It um, oftentimes people go to their primary care doctor and, and do explain these things and, and you know the primary care typically is very apt to get the right questions. I, I think the primary cares I have worked with are, are really good at trying to get a, a general sense of what's going on with their patient. Um, looking at things, you know, when they come to a rheumatologist, if the PCP, the primary care doctor is a little bit confused or, or doesn't know quite where to go next, they often refer and, and that's perfectly, that's that's great because again, this is what we specialize mm -hmm. in. Um, so what I will do as, as their rheumatologist, I'll try to get a sense of where their pain is, when it started, um, how often it occurs, is it episodic? Is it, I'm normal, I'm normal, I'm normal, and then my joints really hurt for three or four days, they get red hot and swollen, and then they become normal again? Or is it something that you deal with on a daily basis? When did it start? How long has it been going on for? Is it only in the morning? Is it only at night? There's a lot of factors that go into it. And then sometimes, you know, most of the time, an exam is, is really required. During the, the months of telemedicine we were doing during the pandemic, it was a nightmare because people will explain their pain Sometimes patients have a really hard time explaining their pain. And, and if you've ever tried to do it, it is actually kind of tough when someone asks you, like, what is your pain like? You know, it, they often are stumped and they have to mm -hmm. think about it. But the exam is really, really important because you want to see if there's stiffness in that joint. You want to see if there's swelling, how they can range it. Can they move their joint the entire entire way? Can they make a full fist? And these are things that we weren't really able to do well on, on, uh, on Zoom or on FaceTime or what have you. Sure. And uh, that's pivotal to determining, you know, is this just osteoarthritis, kind of that wear and tear that we get with aging, or is it something more insidious like rheumatoid arthritis? And then the blood tests really put the kind of final final pin on the on the board that that helps kind of clarify because there are certain blood tests and you know autoantibodies, proteins in the blood that might not be shouldn't be there um, that help kind of solidify the picture. Are there any non-medical methods that you use to help patients, you know, with their pain, anything that you Yes, absolutely, absolutely. A lot of patients will, you know, don't like taking medications for whatever reason, you know, can't take certain medications because of other comorbidities that they might have. Um, I will often talk with a patient and try to get a sense of what their goals are and, and what, they're, what they're looking for and how I can help them. 
um, for certain things like osteoarthritis, that age-related arthritis I was talking about, things like you know topical medications, so like Voltaren, a topical cream, um, you know stretching exercises. There's a lot of evidence actually for acupuncture in patients with osteoarthritis, particularly in the back. Um, things like physical therapy absolutely is kind of a you know a gold standard for a lot of these patients because you want to strengthen their muscles, strengthen their you know the the supportive tissues around a joint that might be bothering them, mm-hmm. and uh, basically just getting them stronger. And those are the kind of main you know non pharmacologic non medical treatments that we use. Yeah. And you you mentioned before about the the pandemic and you're in a field where you really need to physically see somebody. And a number of doctors have said as a result of the pandemic and that telemedicine uh, that you couldn't get that exam like you could physically touch. So are you seeing now certain conditions that you would say are exacerbated because there was that period of time where people didn't or couldn't go to doctors and be seen regularly? I think that it it is starting to level out. I think the the answer to your question, you know, if you asked me six months ago, yes, I think it's starting to level out. Fortunately, I feel like we're we're coming out of the the tunnel that is the pandemic um, or was the pandemic, but uh, it, it, it definitely is leveling out. I think some a lot of people were neglecting their health, had a harder time getting some of their medications. Um, hydroxychloroquine, Plaquenil was a medication that we often use in patients with some of our um, autoimmune conditions, and that medication was thought to be potentially useful in COVID. So some of these patients with lupus or rheumatoid arthritis who were on Plaquenil were having a really hard time getting their medications in the in- initial parts of the, of the pandemic because it was thought to be effective in, in COVID treatment. Um, so that was a challenge. You know, there was um, actually some of the medications that we use um, were, were very hard to get. We were in shortages during the pandemic. So that all played a role in just not being able to get into your doctor, not, not feeling comfortable to go to the pharmacy to pick up your meds. It did affect people very much in the very beginning, but I think it's fortunately um, leveled out and hopefully we never have to deal with that again. And you're practicing now how long? Uh, I've been practicing. Uh, so I've been practicing in rheumatology for the past five years. Five years. Yeah. Has the field of rheumatology changed from the time you started to now, even though it's only five years? Yeah, yeah, it absolutely has. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm, I'm entering my sixth year, I guess you should okay. say. The field of rheumatology, and that's what something that drew me into the field to begin with, um, just to kind of go backwards, in the like 1960s, 1950s, we had no effective treatments for rheumatoid arthritis and, and lupus and, and things like that. Mm-hmm. We were actually infusing people, if you can believe it, with intravenous gold. We were giving people intravenous gold in the 50s and 60s what is that? for rheumatoid arthritis. I don't know, I, it doesn't work, you know? <laughs> um, it, I, so, but it, it was, that's what we were giving people. And there was some anti-inflammatory property was, was the thought process, but it was not very effective. These patients were losing their joint more, like mobility. They were getting contractures in their hands. Mm. Nothing was effective. In the 60s, 70s, fortunately, we started to get a little bit more lucky with, with some treatments, things like steroids, prednisone, Medrol, these sort of medications. They are very effective. They don't really change the course of the disease, but they at least gave people a quality of life, and they were treating the symptoms effectively. They unfortunately can be very toxic and um, you know lead to side effects when you use them for a long period of time. But then when you look at you know the 90s and certainly the early 2000s, we started to see an explosion of, of, of treatments. And then even in the past five, five, 10 years, and certainly when I've been practicing, more and more medications are being you know, thought of and going through rigorous clinical trials and being approved by the FDA and now used. So you know, mm-hmm. within the five, five years, probably 10, 20 drugs have been approved. I don't know the exact number, but mm-hmm. that sounds about right, um, have been approved. 
and are all very effective for the treatment of rheumatoid arthritis, lupus, vasculitis. So it really is an exciting time, and, and we're just figuring out more and more about these diseases. So it really is a very exciting time to be a rheumatologist. Absolutely. Yeah. And say for a patient with a chronic condition, something like lupus, what do you recommend to them if they're considering something like pregnancy and then they're on all these medications? That's a, a really, it's a very good question. And a lot of these conditions, particularly lupus mm -hmm. um, and rheumatoid arthritis can affect people and do affect people primarily in the prime of their life, in their 20s and 30s, mm -hmm. you know, when they're thinking about having kids or, you know, potentially earlier, potentially even later. And, you know, fortunately, um, patients with rheumatic conditions uh, tend to do a little bit better, actually, when they're pregnant because really? the immune system has to allow for the baby to be in the, the you know, the in the uterus of the, of the woman. And um, it uh, will often, the immune system calms down and their symptoms will often improve. So that's a good thing. The kind of bad news is it requires a lot of planning. You know, there can be really adverse pregnancy outcomes in patients who um, are on certain medications. So you want to speak with your rheumatologist. You want to speak with your OB-GYN before you're pregnant to make sure that some of the medications you're on are not going to potentially adversely affect the baby. Um, some of these medications need to be stopped, you know, three months before conception or they can lead to you know, birth defects. So you really wanna be looking at what medications you're on, thinking about when's the optimal time to get pregnant. You really want the disease to be quiet mm -hmm. before you get pregnant because then you optimize the potential that that baby will have a very successful kind of you know, event-free uh, nine-month period while they're, while they're uh, forming. So you're working very closely with other, other fields that is probably one of the best parts about being a rheumatologist is, well, I guess I said the, the treatments, but it is among the best things about being a rheumatologist is that we are very multidisciplinary. We work with their cardiologists, we work with their pulmonologists, their endocrinologists, you know, nephrologists, because we are so, our diseases can affect any part of the body. We talked a lot about the joints, mm -hmm. but it can affect, you know, these rheumatic diseases can affect the heart, can affect the lungs. You know, rheumatoid arthritis, the leading cause of death is cardiovascular disease. So we want to be working with these other providers to make sure, okay, let us take care of their joints and their autoimmune disease, but there are other things we need to be thinking about. And I think, you know, cardiologists are very heart-centric and nephrologists are very, you know, kidney-centric, but we try to bring everything together and kind of unify the picture and think of people holistically. So are most of your patients referrals from primary care physicians or people picking up the phone and saying, hey, yeah. is, it, is it mostly referrals? Um, it, so people can self-refer and I feel like that's becoming more common. People go on Dr. Google and type in their <laughs> symptoms and, yes. and, and, and be like, hmm, maybe this can be autoimmune. Let me go see a rheumatologist. Yes. Um, but I think the vast majority yeah, are through referrals. We get referrals through both avenues. I think PCP primaries are probably the most common, I would say. Um, but yeah, I get referrals from neurologists, from, you know, re renal doctors, kidney doctors, um, cardiologists all the time. So we get referrals come in from kind of all, all avenues. Awesome. So you mentioned a lot of the common conditions, like what are, is MS or any other conditions like that, that, that fall into, to what you. So there are autoimmune conditions that, um, that are not necessarily managed by a rheumatologist. MS, for example, multiple sclerosis is one of those conditions that um, is, we thought, to, you know, thought to be immune mediated in, in nature, you know, primarily has neurologic manifestations. So that's primarily managed by a neurologist, though we often will work with them in, in certain instances. Um, things like Hashimoto's thyroiditis, kind of thyroid conditions, these are autoimmune in nature, but, you know, because it's primarily affecting the thyroid, they primarily follow with an endocrinologist, for example, a thyroid doctor. Um, so it varies, um, and it kind of depends on the condition, but 
like I mentioned, you know, we'll, we'll interact with a lot of these doctors because first of all, the autoimmune conditions tend to run together. So if you have type one diabetes or if you have, you know, a thyroid condition, you're more likely to have another autoimmune condition at the same time because mm -hmm. your body's making similar mistakes, so to speak. So, you know, that's a possibility. Um, so we get, you know, that's why we get referrals all over the place and that's why we interact with so many other specialties. Do you have a, a patient who was most memorable to you that might have affected you in, in some type of way? Hmm, that's a good question. Let me think. Is there, I mean, I, I'm inspired by my patients and think about my patients all the time and, and, you know, a lot of them have been very memorable. You know, they go through a lot and they, um, you know, they have difficult lives and difficult challenges and kind of seeing them grow has always been and, and kind of succeed and, and get through their condition has been um, a, really a, a joy and kind of the most gratifying thing in my job. But a, a particular patient, um, I think probably the one that made me go into rheumatology is probably the most impactful. I was I did a rheumatology rotation in my, in my residency, um, but it actually was on a cardiology rotation where I uh, was like, okay, this is it. There was a, a patient who was going into heart failure. He was kind of older and we he had no, he was a healthy guy. We could not figure out what was going on with him. We did, you know, some tests and ultimately it, it came out that it was a condition called amyloidosis, which is, is quite rare um, and is in part managed by, by rheumatologists. And, you know, we kind of, put, again, put the pieces together. We saw something was going on with his heart. Something strange was going on with his kidney. We did a physical exam. We noticed some, some interesting findings in, in amyloidosis. You get something called macroglossia and you can get something called a shoulder pad sign. And we were, we were like kind of putting things together and we said, hmm, we, we ordered the right tests, we sent the right things and we did a biopsy and lo and behold, it was amyloidosis. And wow. you know, it was, it was just kind of the aha moment for me, mm -hmm. I think that was like, this is what I wanna do. Cool. That's yeah. awesome. Yeah. Just to get a little personal with you before we wrap things up. Sure. So we have Dr. Demizio, rheumatologist slash detective. <laughs> <laughs> um, I'd love to know, you know, in your off time, yeah. what you like to do to decompress and yeah, any hobbies, anything that yeah. you have. I'm a pretty low-key guy. I think I'm I'm introverted by nature. A lot of this, uh, you know, I, I think I can, uh, you know, interview patients and talk with patients. And it takes a lot of, like, energy yes. to do that. So when I go home, I just kind of want to like relax. I love having, you know, family quality time, a big fan of, of movies. I think that's something we, we share, Alex. Um, so I'll watch movies, you know, TV, obviously read books. I'm, I'm a big fan of like fiction, nonfiction, finished all of Game of Thrones. Um, so waiting for love the, the next, yeah, the show, love the show. House of Dragons. Waiting, House of the Dragons, <laughs> fantastic. So I've been reading kind of those books, waiting for the, the next book to come out. Um, we might be waiting a while. A very long time. It's been, you know, it's so funny because I went to medical school, finished medical school, went to residency, <laughs> finished residency, <laughs> did my fellowship, finished fellowship, did three years of uh, being an attending, and now I'm here for my fourth year, and the book has still not come still out not yet. Come out. <laughs> still not so, come out. I don't know, George R. R. Martin. I don't know if you're listening to this podcast. Yes, yeah, so and he's now like 74, 75. Yeah, yeah. So, so. We're hoping for the best, but preparing for the worst. Exactly. But. <laughs> he's got to get on that. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so reading, kind of just hang, hanging out, relaxing, seeing family, friends, hiking, you know, that sort of thing. Just Very relaxing. Nice. Yeah. yeah. Very nice. Well, I'd like to thank you once again for your time. Sure. And for all that you do to keep us safe and healthy, right. we're happy to have you as a part of the Rumsey family. And thank you, thank you once again. Thanks for having me. <laughs> <laughs> that about does it for this episode of Rumsey Connections. Thank you for joining us. I'm Meredith Gaskins.